Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. How's it going, Derek? Fantastic. Guess who's joining us this evening? Who? John Van Beriger. No, is he? He is. How you doing, John? I am fine. How are you? <laughs> I thought he left. <laughs> I thought he left, too. <laughs> I've had enough of this garbage. I'm outie. I'm done. That's it. I'm, I'm done. Here. The normal static from his crappy Radio Shack microphone was uh, usually gives more static. Yeah. How are things, John? Things are good. How are they with you guys? <laughs> I am fine. How are you? Hope this letter <laughs> finds you well. <laughs> Summer camp sucks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, things are going great. Things are going groovy. Getting things done. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, getting things all ready for, for paddle season opened because we had our May 2-4 weekend this weekend. Woo-hoo. It's uh, sort of the official start of summer here up yep. in, in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. And how did we start May 2-4 weekend? Big old thunder lightning. Oh, yeah. What yeah. is it? A, der- a Dero... Derecho. Derecho. Yeah, they call derecho. it something different. Yeah, I always want to call it a Deroche. That's something. That's somebody's <laughs> last name. This guy used to know. Leo Derocher? Yeah. The uh, baseball man? Derecho. 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 Mm-hmm. Something like that. Something like that. Uh, yeah, we had some really nasty storms come through Ontario and Quebec this past weekend. High winds, heavy rain, hail, thunder. I didn't see any lightning, but Derek, you said you saw. Saw lightning. I heard lots of thunder, but uh, yeah, we did see lightning. <clears throat> yeah, lots of wind damage. Yep. So their wind damage, they say, extends almost a thousand kilometers from wow. Michigan border to Quebec City. Destructive, hundred and ten kilometer an hour gusts along much of that trail. Wow. Um, yeah, it was and. It's, I, I'd not seen anything like this before. Usually you see like a storm cell will touch down, do its damage, pinpoint accuracy, boom, it's gone. But this thing just kind of chewed its way across the yeah, southern Usually it lands on like some guy named Bob's house, Yeah, takes out Bob in his yeah. car, and then continues on. But yeah, they, they yeah. usually swirl in and, yeah. and chew up an area and then take off. But this thing was, it just kind of bulldozed across southern Ontario and Quebec, and it uh, did a massive amount of damage. Sadly, we right now I think there's up to 10 people of that have... Uh, have been killed by the storm and mm-hmm. uh but yeah it was uh it was wild because it was like for for us when we saw it come through it was it was nice oh the sky's getting gray whoa what's going on okay well that's past and well the sun's out yeah and, and it was the, like it that we experienced the storm for maybe 30 minutes mm-hmm. yeah it was it yeah. was nothing it was in now you got some stuff didn't you john we had uh, like a day and a half before you got yours. We had a big hailstorm come down through, big right. lightning and hailstorm. Um, but it came in, so you know the derecho is really fierce in it, but it's slow moving kind of thing. Like you said, it comes in and it just grinds and chews up and keeps going. Um, ours came in and blew through fast, so this definitely wasn't a derecho. Um, I've been into, in fact, that one that. You and I had talked about uh, up in uh, what was it, Killarney, when we were out paddling. But but this, yeah, this one wasn't anything like the um, the damage you guys got. Yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of campgrounds and stuff hit. A lot of trees yes. down every, every I mean, yeah. everywhere. Power lines, uh, still power outages. A lot of power outages. Uh, we're, I still have people coming into work this week, beginning saying, uh, "Yeah, no, still don't have power at home." Friends of mine up yep. at near Rice Lake, they uh, got their power back about 45 minutes ago. I was just, I got a text. Mm-hmm. 
So that's and my I think my sister was is still waiting for power. She's in Ottawa. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, enough power lines that, that like there's enough power lines down that it, is, it takes a while to reconstruct that right to put the lines back up to replace transformers yeah. if needed. Uh, this morning there's a. a one of the guys was coming in from the Coburg area, and he said he saw a convoy of about uh, 10 or so uh, NB power trucks uh, cruising down the 401 towards Toronto. Yeah, yeah. at times like this, you need all the extra yeah. help for stuff. Now, I know my sister-in-law, we were over at her place, or heading to her place, um, and we're going through neighborhood by her, and they were yeah, changing like the, the uh, telephone poles, mm-hmm. like old ones. Out new ones being yeah. put in, that sort of thing. So, yeah. But Pinehurst, Pinehurst Conservation Campground near Kitchener, a tree fell onto a camping trailer. One person died, two yeah. people injured. Very for- unfortunate. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it was something. You know, just me- all of a sudden, yeah. Well, we, I, we were saying off air there. My daughter was out getting some stuff, and we told her, you know, let's start moving because she's gotten into the gardening, so she's got all the potted plants yeah. and stuff out. So let's move them close to the house under the on the porch and stuff because if this comes through like they're saying it's going to come through then those are all going to get damaged and we did that and just as she was walking in the house there was no little pitter patter of you know a couple of raindrops let you know what's going to happen <laughs> it was like all of a sudden somebody just did the bucket challenge yeah and just rain just came yeah. pouring down yeah so but yeah passed right through and yeah, it was it was in and gone, and it was sunny before and sunny afterwards. It was it was just so strange because normally I'm used to experiencing storms that you know uh, there's it's the whole day type thing, right? Yeah, or an afternoon, but nothing that is. It was like something alive. It just kind of came in and passed through, and and so it was kind of strange that it carried its own energy with it as it went. And, but didn't leave anything behind. There's no, the, like it was dead calm before, or dead calm after. Mm-hmm. Like there's no winds before and after. And so you expect a storm cell to be wide ranging. But this was not wide ranging. It was, you know, I don't know how wide it was, but it was like a thousand kilometers long. And uh, so, it, yeah, it was strange. We were camping up at Ferris Provincial Park during it. And uh, so it was like, oh. And we were lucky. It only pulled out a couple of tent pegs. But some of those neighbors, they had. Uh, tree limbs and trees on their cars and yeah. stuff like that. So we heard a change. The park staff were chopping up trees for the next four or five hours and, in the campsite. Bon Echo was so damaged that they actually closed down Bon Echo. They evacuated everybody out of the campground, sent everybody out, and uh, and then they said it's not going to be open until at least the 31st, if not after, because they have to clean up so many trees in Bon Echo, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't hear of any injuries in Bon Echo, but, so that's fortunate. So it's just that they have to... They had to get everybody out to clean things up. Well, just north of us, cars were tipped over. Really? Yeah, up in Oxbridge. Oh, I saw yeah. something about cars that. Cars yeah. were flipped over yeah. and everything. And you know, that, that that's like hurricane tornado type stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's crazy when you get the winds high enough that it flips a vehicle. So I think mm-hmm. I saw a white pickup truck and a, and a dark blue car side by side in downtown Oxbridge mm-hmm. on their sides. Yeah. It's like, Wow. That's crazy. Wouldn't want to be the backcountry on a canoe trip when yeah, that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oof. Uh, John. Yes. I went out. We're redoing our bathroom upstairs. Mm-hmm. And we went out looking for new vanity, new medicine cabinet, new flooring for the bathroom. You know what I came home with? A what? new beer fridge. <laughs> <laughs> 
Pounding Adventures <laughs> Radio now has that, its that, own beer fridge. That wasn't on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't have a shower, but I can have all the beer I can drink, and it'll be cold now. Uh, guess what the first six beers that went into that freezer were, or that fridge were? I've got an idea. <laughs> You'd be right. <laughs> it's something I, I, I'm just wondering if I'll ever see in my lifetime, though. Well, the problem is that they're, they they have short shelf life, so we might have to drink them. Yeah, they might they might not uh, last it, much longer. It, it's a lager. It has a a long shelf life. Do they? I don't know. Yeah. Like microbrews, this one here, the one we're having tonight, which is a man antler beer uh, beer from Bowmanville. It says. Uh, uh, do not age. Drink fresh. And I've seen most <laughs> micro beer beer micro brew beers with that label on it. Well, I Which, should uh, check the puppers that are in that fridge. Then we should taste them, make sure they're still okay. Yeah. No, you should just leave we, them there. We I'm each there. might need three tastes. <laughs> <laughs> no. So IPAs, you've got to drink like as fresh as possible, right, for the hops. Mm -hmm. But some of your darker beers with higher uh, alcohol content, those I've got, I I have in downstairs, I have some like 10, 11% imperial stouts that are six years old, and they're still good and drinkable. Oh, yeah? Yeah. According yeah. to who? <laughs> man of no taste <laughs> man with no taste buds that's right john's just trying to sell this on us <laughs> so that those beers oh those beers yeah those beers belong to my great great grandpappy <laughs> they're still good trust me <laughs> well letter kenny's are they going to put out another season of letter kenny because they've started shorzy now oh did yeah. they yeah Oh, There's what six episodes of Shorzy out now, huh. which John hasn't seen yet. So let me let me fill you in on what's been happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> Spoil alert! <laughs> uh, so yeah, now what we got? We got this nice red fridge mm -hmm. that we can start sticking all of my stickers on. But it's in the hallway, and well, from this angle, I see. I'm looking at the back of it. That's the you only know, place I I, there's there's a, a, a plug-in easily reached. I could bring some beer and cheese for you to put in there. Yeah, I, I would approve of that. <laughs> we need beer and beer and cheese. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, Derek, we're thinking about you. We posted a video on our Facebook page. It's called Brain Waves. Oh, I didn't see it. So Brooke Hess <laughs> it's in my book club. is it's in my book club. No, this is a video. <laughs> it's not a book. <laughs> uh Brooke Hess is a top kayaker and um she has a uh, traumatic brain injury. She ended up with a concussion. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the video, it shows what she looked after, looked like after she hit her head. And there's no doubt that she has massive brain issue afterwards. Oh, yeah. Concussions and that, yeah. So she's, it's, it's about her return to life after severe concussion. Um, 
and returning to extreme sport, oh. per se. Most doctors and treatment plans don't focus on patients' returns to extreme sports like kayaking, especially if that's what caused the concussion in the first place. Post-concussive syndrome can plague patients for years, causing migraines, confusion, memory problems, brain fog, and more. That pretty much sums up you some days, Derek. <laughs> I'm always like that. <laughs> it's always like that. You had what, like five, four concussions? I forget. Yeah. <laughs> Point. <laughs> so, uh, in the film, Hess opens up uh, to share some of the less talked about aspects of post-concussive syndrome, like digestive issues, depression, chronic migraines, and her journey isn't uncommon, but it also isn't talked about enough. And maybe this movie Brainwaves is a step in the right direction. So I only I, I was just going through some stuff, and you know it's it's right. You you, you see you know like somebody gets an injury, like such and such was paddling and went down this river, but smacked his arm. Look, he's broken his arm, that sort of stuff. And then that was two years ago. Now he's got full range again, no problems. Blah, blah. But things like a head issue. I mean, we it's been brought up in football, hockey, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The concussions and all that, the brain injuries. You can see, like, her, her face, you would never have known that she had any injury. Okay. But you can't see what's inside. Exactly, right? yeah. And it's not yeah. talked about. No, it's not. And uh, for the longest time, even, like, with NFL, NHL, and so on, they it's, it's just in the last eight to ten years that they've really started discussing traumatic brain injuries within sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's something that there, there's they're only really starting to touch on it now, and there there's new design for helmets and so on, and, and there's new protocols involving uh, sports-related injuries and so on. Yeah. And uh, it, it's one of those things. It was... Uh, because you can't see it, a lot of people, and, and now I'm not talking about in the 2000s, but, you know, years ago, people would ignore it. It's like, yeah, whatever, it's in your head. Yeah, it is in your head. It's like their traumatic brain injury causes some damage that is not visible and not apparent. And you really have to be careful. Like some people can't stand the, you can't be in bright lights for like months afterwards, And right? It's mm-hmm. uh, uh, a buddy of mine, his son was uh, taken out to the knees going for a layup in basketball and he got flipped over upside down onto his head and uh, he went from a straight A student, very attentive for his studies and stuff, very good player. And he, he for three years, he, uh, he was like failing classes, getting D's and uh, he, for like eight months he uh, couldn't be in bright lights at all and he had to constantly wear sunglasses and it was it was his personality changed well personality i think he just became depressed and so on but uh i shouldn't say just he he became depressed and so on but uh the traumatic brain injury it's one of those things that uh, is really starting to come to the foreground when it comes to major sports and that's what's going to help with the general public once the sports side of it starts pouring money into research for traumatic brain injuries. Well, especially when you're dealing with uh, extreme sports. Exactly. I mean, you look yeah. at the number of them out there too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like this is, uh, yeah, definitely something that means. So take a peek on our Facebook yeah. page uh, at, at the Brainways uh, video. John. Yes. You <laughs> sent us. Yes. What's going yes. on? What? Yes. John, <laughs> you still there? Hey, you you still there? there? <laughs> so... John, you were on the Costco website. Yes. Looking at the UDAP bear spray with holster, a two-pack. I was. <laughs> um, did you ever find the price of that two-pack? 
you know, I did find a price on it, but more importantly, I found some really interesting marketing photos with it. <laughs> um, I've, I've never used this, the UDEP pepper power bear deterrent is, is what it says. You know, I have no idea if the product's good or not. I've, you know, I've never used it. But their images that they're trying to market this with are not scary. good. They're not. They're not the the one I have the the biggest problem with. I know you've got one that is your favorite, <laughs> um, but the one I've got the biggest problem with is one that shows it's a it's a heavily photoshopped um, image that shows a grizzly sow with uh, three cubs. So you know clearly a bear that's not going to care if you walk right up to it. <clears throat> um, As and one then does a a, a UDAP pepper power. Um, canister kind of superimposed over that, but then they photoshopped some people in in the uh, along the side as if you can walk right up. As this is this product is so good, you can walk <laughs> right by a grizzly sow. They will enter you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's, it's it, the advertising is a little shady. Yeah, a little shady. It's, so. It, the the top picture <laughs> there there's this guy in half a camo shirt with his hand outstretched in a international stop right there sign <laughs> and he's pulling out the canister from the holster cuz you know the minute you put up your hand as if you were uh, in one of those, those Jurassic, Jurassic Park movies where he holds up his hand to the dinosaur. <laughs> the hand disappears, right? <laughs> uh, you know, the bear's going to see that and go, your hand's up to stop. I will stop now. <laughs> I won't charge because your hand, and I see you're pulling out that pepper spray. What, you want me to eat that hand? <laughs> yeah, I've got a problem with some of this uh, marketing photos. Uh, <laughs> then there's the one of the guy and the girl, and they've superimposed. I don't know who did their artwork. But that thing looks like the size of a sawed-off shotgun on his hip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah big, it's, it's bigger it's than an algae can, bottle. It's a miracle he can walk with <laughs> a large can of bear spray on his hip. Yeah, some of this stuff. I and, and I, the one I would be concerned most is that one you said. Like they've superimposed people walking right behind this these grizzly bears as if there's no worries and. Oh. Uh-oh, we lost John again. I hear the booping. Oh, that's a hang-up. Oh, that, that's a definite hang-up. <laughs> John has left the building. Uh, let's see if we can get John back, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Dark Sprest. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. 
Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. And we're back with John. <laughs> John Hi, disappeared. Guys. We think it was the UDAP police. Uh, they didn't, <laughs> didn't like our critique of their artwork. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody didn't like it, but uh, yeah, I, I just have a bit of a concern with this uh, last picture here. Uh, so yeah, if you go to the Costco website and just type in UDAP, U D A P, bear spray, this will will come up, and uh, you can see the pictures we're talking about. It, like I say, this people that don't know any better will think that with this spray you can. You know, they, they put things like do not eat, do not put the toaster in the bathtub because there's people that are going to do it. So <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, John. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> um, May 19th of this year, a gentleman named Terry Boland has reached... 13,000 kilometers paddling, Mark. He's paddled on flat, not flowing water of Perth Swan River in Australia every single day since June 3rd, 2021, the day of his 70th birthday. And again, Derek. Yes. For those that say, oh, I feel like I'm so old. <laughs> Well, this is impressive, and <laughs> this is this this is truly impressive. It, to, for him to get out and and do this, like, and it's it's not like he's going out and doing like a couple hundred meters. He's he's built up. He's done thirteen thousand kilometers so far. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's on one river. He goes out and he paddles up and down, up and yeah. down, up and down. So he's close to achieving his goal of paddling every single day for one year. To raise awareness and money for Prostate Cancer Foundation. He's averaging like 35 kilometers a day. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're retired. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But still, like 35 kilometers is a big day for me out canoeing. With On a family, regular right? thing, yeah. 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 That's a big day, right? But I don't think there's portages, so I'm going <laughs> okay, well, to hold that yeah, against him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do portages. Yeah, there's no portaging, <laughs> so it doesn't count. You got to knock off a half of that. <laughs> he says were there any, sorry was were there any portages on it at all no there was no portages either there's no portages okay, or portages yeah so okay. he says it's quite satisfying to think i have paddled every day for almost 12 months without a single day's rest although i knew my body has never faulted before on other challenges i didn't imagine paddling for a year without some aches and pains or a slight injury john but so far <laughs> i have had no issues <laughs> See, this This has got John and Derek written all over it. I know. <laughs> uh, in 2011, he paddled 6,000 kilometers in a year to celebrate his 60th birthday. A feature he uh, repeated five years later, 6,500 kilometers, and again was planning for 2021 with a 7,000-kilometer goal. However, in 2018, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. He says, the doctor sent me for some tests right away. My surgeon was also first class, ensuring very successful operation and a quick recovery. Three months after surgery, he was paddling again, and in 2019, he completed an 1,100-kilometer 
kayak expedition along the west coast of Canada before taking home a bronze medal in the K-1 65-plus class and a gold in the K-2 65-plus class in the Canoe Marathon World Masters Championships in China. Wow. Derek, this guy's amazing. Old. You feel gold, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> it's people like this that make you want to do more. It's people like this that just tick you right off, right, Derek? No, it makes me want to do more. It's like it's. I, I've been fooling myself to think that I'm not capable of something, and and when somebody does goes out and does something on such a grand scale, it's like I, especially I, when they're I'm, twenty years older than you. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm like cutting myself short. I need to. Yeah. I need to step up my game. Well, see, that's what people say. It's like, oh, man, I've only got maybe 10 years left. No, you don't. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Is there an expiry date? Like well, you look at the bottom of your foot and there's good up until? Yeah, I've got Alzheimer's in my family. <laughs> I may have an expiry date. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> you're the first one that doesn't. Derek accidentally did 13,000 kilometers because he got <laughs> lost and he never forgot. came home. He forgot he has been battling. <laughs> he already did this session. <laughs> <laughs> Neighbors saw him going back and forth back and yeah. forth and didn't stop them <laughs> so in june 2021 boland was ready to take on his biggest challenge to date and paddle 7,000 kilometers over 12 months however after he reached his goal on the 29th of december he decided to keep paddling every day for 365 days aiming for 12,000 kilometers on the 30th of April, he reached 12,000, and with 33 days left before his challenge was over, his goal became 13,000 kilometers, which is 8,075 miles. Incredible. That is something. <laughs> his goal is to raise awareness and funds for the Prostate Cancer Foundation to help research on the disease uh, that threatens the lives of one in six Australian men. Uh, and this is, I mean, thats it's a worldwide issue yeah yeah so uh based in western australia unable to leave his state for most of the 12 month challenge due to covid restrictions he soon became familiar with a familiar site on the swan river paddling up and down the same 20 kilometer section of the river close to his home on the water that had become familiar training ground for the last 45 years so it's not like he's new to paddling either right uh, he's been paddling for for years so, yeah, he's got this 20-kilometer section that just mm-hmm. up and down, up and down, up and down for, well, what's 13,000 divided by 20? That's so, how many, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. How, how many, many ups, laps. Yeah. How many laps he did, yeah. Nevertheless, it's been an enormous challenge that requires physical and mental strength, patience, and endurance as Boland spends time between, uh, spends between five to eight hours in the kayak every day in rainstorm, floods, and he, yeah, because they had those floods this, uh. Was that this spring? They had those floods because yeah. that guy was going around rescuing people mm-hmm. and cows. <laughs> yes, he saved right? cows. <laughs> yeah. uh, he averages around 40 kilometers every day with the greatest distance paddled on a single day being 70 kilometers. Wow. So I guess some days are just better than others, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Best part of the day has been early morning and late evening when the colors are crisp and in the evening when the sun is setting. I also paddle a lot in the dark and love when the winds are calm, the moon is out, and the stars are bright. His charity efforts have hit $10,000 goal so far, uh, and he still has uh, a couple weeks till his birthday. That's cool, eh? Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. 13,000 yeah. kilometers. 8,075 <laughs> Eight, miles. 8,080 something, yeah. Yeah. 
Isn't that wow. something? Wow. See, that gives you something to – how many times can we do the Duffins Creek? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also the issue with the hard water season, so it's not like we could do 12 months of Duffins Creek. <laughs> Says you. Well, that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> no, when the when the winter hits, mm-hmm. we can do uh, Lake Ontario. There you go. See, storm just days ex- and everything. Extra challenging. Yes. Yeah. When the windstorms come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good thing I got that new dry suit. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> um, we all know that you have to. It's law. You got to have your life jacket in your boat when you're paddling. Yeah, and then Coast Guard or whoever stop you on the water, if it's RCMP or whatever local police, they'll do a boat check, look for bailers, look for life jackets. Yeah, where's your life jackets? Yeah, they're tucked in that cabinet back there. Okay, show me. Make sure there's enough for enough people on board. Yeah, okay, there's four people. There's five life jackets. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. But now they're talking about to, instead of having life jackets on board and within reach, there's a debate whether those in the boat will actually need to be wearing them. Life jackets are no good if you're not wearing them. Well, and this has been a debate that's mm-hmm. been going on for long before I was. I always found it curious. It's like, what? I just have to have it on board. I don't have to actually wear it. No, just as long as you have it on board. Okay. Yeah, and that's always been a. I've never really jumped into the debate because to me it's more of a personal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like with me. Kids, if if you've got little kids or whatever in the boat, yeah. you should make sure they're wearing it. Oh, absolutely. No ifs, ands, yeah. or buts about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really say what age I would lift that restriction. Uh, I mean, I guess it'd be just a personal, as a parent, how you feel. You know, oh, your kid's 12, he can mm-hmm. go in the boat. Or your kid's 16, they can paddle without it as long as it's right next to them sort of thing. I remember years ago, there was a commercial about life jackets and so on. It was it shows two kids. They're in their life jackets. They're in the back of a 12-foot aluminum uh, rowboat. And uh, they're all alone. And, and the narrator's talking about, if you're not wearing the life jacket, yada, yada, yada. But so he's gone. Mm-hmm. He's off floating in the water. And the kids are all alone with, with Is the that the one jackets. where the boat's going in a circle around the no, guy no, that's not floating? This one. <laughs> that, that's another one they that's, made. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's one they... a couple they made. <laughs> I don't know, John, what do you guys got down there? Kind of the same thing. Most places you have to have some kind of uh, flotation device in the boat with you. Um, Typically, there's not a lot. Then it goes down to state by state. And so you may have um, sort of the overall guideline. I think there's a federal or a Coast Guard statute that says children under 13 must wear, I believe. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but but yeah, it it you know it ends up being it's state by state. Um, but I you know I, I I've talked to a first responder who says you have no idea how broken hearted you will be um, as the rescuer to find someone that has drowned when they had an unworn PFD in their boat. Yeah. yeah. He said it's it's heartbreaking, you know. Um, there's there's just nothing worse when they see that. Well, one of the questions say is, can you force someone on a 40-foot boat to wear their life jacket? 
And they're saying that, that part of the debate will be whether the size of the boat will determine whether the life jackets need to be worn or not. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're on like a big 40-foot boat, it's not like you're going to tip over all of a sudden, like in mm-hmm. a canoe or a kayak. Yeah. You can just yeah. all of a sudden flip. You know, if, if, if you're going down, you've either put a, a hole in the boat and you've got time to dig out those life jackets. Yeah. I mean, unless I'm missing something here, mm-hmm. uh, unless there's something absolutely catastrophic that happens. Yeah, um, it's it's almost like there's a different sense of of safety and security depending on the size of the boat. Mm-hmm. I know when I used to I used to sail a lot more, and uh, I always had a uh, a Mustang inflatable auto inflate life jacket, so it wore like a horse collar type thing, yeah. straps on. Yeah. And when you yeah. fall in the water, it uh, sensor detects the water and boom, it inflates, right? And so I always wore one of those because it was it can be restrictive if you're in wind or rain or whatever to have the life jacket on. So I had a self-inflated one, but it only self-inflates the first time, but it does a little little tube pops out. You can blow it up by by mouth type thing, but still, it's uh, it's one of the things. It's uh, it, I think what they need to do is to, is make something better, cheaper, and that works for the general population that people will want to wear. Right? Maybe they fashion. They get blingy with <laughs> rhinestones and I don't know. There's Derek in a sequin <laughs> life jacket. Exactly, I'd wear that everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the new Salus Elvis. Yes, yes. <laughs> so 80% of Canadians who drowned while boating were not wearing their life jacket or not wearing it properly. Yes. Uh, with so many choices, life jacks, personal flotation devices on the market, it's easy to choose one that's comfortable to wear, fits your boating style, whether that is power, sail, fishing, uh, personal watercraft, kayaks, paddle boards, or anything else. They say right now the water is so cold this time of year that within minutes you might not have the ability to swim. And there was a, an article recently about a fella who's a university student and he trains with um, rescuers and he's done water training, cold water training. Mm-hmm. And he was in his kayak and fell out and he says he wasn't ready for it. Oh. Even though he's done all this training, mm-hmm. he says when you're you're and he knew like he was thinking of all these things that they that he's been taught. You know, the first thing people do is take a big breath. Yeah, you know, it, it causes you they, to gasp. Yeah, <gasps> and they suck in the water. Yeah. So he automatically made sure his mouth was closed and all this. And he says like he was like twenty feet from shore mm-hmm. and had a hard time getting yeah. there, and it surprised him. Mm-hmm. Well, it brings to mind the uh, now I I, I I can't remember their names, but it's two guys that were paddling out west coast in the mountains. Off, uh, they were very experienced paddlers. They've run the Colorado River multiple times. They're expedition paddlers. They were uh, out. They work with outfitters and so on. And they were off on one of these mountain lakes, and a storm came up, overturned. They both died. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just one of those things. It doesn't matter how much experience you have. If you need to be able to, you need to have the life jacket that saves you, not you counting on your own skills and knowledge, because you can't always rely on that if it's a, if it's cold water entry and so on. It really depends on the day, the conditions, the, the temperature of the water. It's, well, that's what this guy had said. He said, if he hadn't had his life jacket on, he doesn't know if he would have made it to shore. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So 10 canoes, a kayak, a stand-up paddleboard, and a rowboat were among the marine vessels from which tragic scenarios unfolded for 13 of the 27 people who died in Ontario. Um, uh, Provincial police OPP patrolled waterways in 2021. 12 canoes, three kayaks, a stand-up paddleboard, and a rowboat were involved in 17 marine deaths in 2020, a year that saw a record 32 boaters and paddlers lose their lives. Now, John, I got to think down there, the numbers are probably, you know, about the same. Yeah, I would think so. I would guess. You know, I don't have don't have access to that but it would seem like this is something that would be you know with our especially with our i i guess what would you say like you know sharing the great lakes and mm-hmm. the waterway the you know that well, there's a lot of waterways that people paddle down your way too yeah and uh, i gotta think uh yeah you guys have uh, just as much issues as we're having up here yeah yeah it's uh yeah i mean i always wear one um, there's times when it's really hot where I wish I, I didn't have to, but it, but the have to is it's a self-imposed thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And mostly I, that's just because I'm so drunk that I think, <laughs> oh, no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I think it's better the cans aren't going to hold you up. <laughs> that's right. But You're going to get mail on that like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> John is drunk out there, but at least he's wearing his, his proper his life, life jacket. jacket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I, do we been... need to say it? Do we need to say don't paddle drunk? Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, John just, don't. Just to, just to say it. That was a joke. Don't paddle drunk. Don't okay. paddle drunk. Don't All drink right. and paddle. Was it that's water right. on the water, beers on the pier? Oh, well, that's a Ooh, good one. Very right. nice. Have you not heard that? No. Oh, no. those are the, the, the Lake Simcoe um, um, Ontario commercials radio commercials every year mm-hmm. remember if you're out enjoying this weekend water on the water beer on the pier mm. <laughs> that's not a professional didn't it <laughs> <laughs> join me this weekend <laughs> sunday sunday sunday, sunday. <laughs> uh i've been on canoe trips where i've looked around I'll, I'll be like two or three canoes six people and i'm the only one wearing a life jacket Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, other times where there's yeah. six of us and all six of us are wearing it. Mm-hmm. It's it's never and, and you know, you get to the point where okay, well if there's six of us and something happens and hopefully we can get to the one person who's not wearing one sort of yeah. thing or you know, um uh, and, and I do think that it's a lot of times it's you know, people are realizing okay, well it's a nice day, the water's calm. Yeah, I'm just gonna wear it unzipped mm-hmm. or something like that. But I, I don't feel comfortable not yeah. wearing one anymore. And you say if there's six people and one person of the six isn't wearing it. I don't know. At the first of the day, you say to them, hey, you should wear that. And at the end of the day, it's like, hey, I warned them. I'm not going to go save them now. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where'd he go? Well, yeah. I'm not getting wet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not getting wet for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we all just beat the crap out of him until he puts it on. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting where this battle takes takes it. You know, are, are they just going to do okay if you're under a certain size, 
boat you have to wear it when it when you're uh, on the water i think that's what you'll see you'll, you're going to see a lot of commercial operations will have difficulty with uh, with getting people to wear life jackets if if you're out on a commercial charter or fishing charter and you know depending mm-hmm. on the size of the boat they say yeah gotta put life jackets on it's, you know you're going to be have some belligerent people and but I, I think what it comes down to is it's going to have to be pleasure craft small craft that are going to be enforced and uh, larger boats, which you maybe think that you'd be ten uh, less chance of uh, capsizing accidents, turnover, sink, whatever, then maybe they won't. Won't. It's, it's really hard to say. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do a blanket enforcement when, say, you get one of these tall ships out there, and and people are just kind of inside, or you know, yada yada yada. Then it's like kind of it's it's hard to enforce something so wide ranging. So I would think that they'd make it for small crafts initially and maybe mm-hmm. phase it in overall boats. I don't know. It's I think they should do it on cruise ships too. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> hey, down in the Caribbean <laughs> wearing your best bikini, your Speedo, and a life jacket. Yeah, out for dinner. <laughs> out for dinner. Hey, nice evening gown. It goes great with that yellow life jacket. <laughs> She's smoking. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, uh, Paris Hilton? You say that's hot. Oh, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John. John would be getting to that speedo in a life jacket. Yes. Oh. <laughs> cruising the the Lido deck. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one interesting thing, you know, after you had asked about how does that compare to down here, and it it is basically the same. But but um, two states have interesting variations in this. Um, Connecticut and Pennsylvania have um, require PFDs being worn, um, uh, particularly kayakers in Pennsylvania, from November thir- or November first to April thirtieth. So basically, during you know cold water paddling, right? Uh, and Connecticut also has. A similar thing, theirs is October 1st through May 31st, so actually a longer season for anyone in a manually propelled vessel. So um, I that's kind of interesting. I think that's what's going to end up happening here. Is mm-hmm. It's going to do the – definitely if you're paddling. If it's manual propelled, I think yeah. that would be an easy designation. They would easy, have an easy time passing that rule because you're going to – all all of the uh, all the people in like speedboats and yada yada yada, they're going to be a little bit more belligerent when it comes to rules like that, and so it's going to be an easier enforcement if it's self-propelled, small watercraft, stand-up paddleboard, kayak, canoe, mm-hmm. be an easy enforcement rule if they were to make it blanket policy. And as it is right now, I don't know, is it like I, I I'd be I think you'd be hard pressed to find people like canoeing and kayaking and any. Uh, outdoor situation where they I, I there would be a few but most would wear it already right yeah well even when when we're on different social media i dare you to post a picture of you paddling a canoe without a life jacket <laughs> not get shamed i yeah, exactly dare you. <laughs> yeah 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 people just uh, there was one so because you know uh, stand-up paddleboarders have those waist ones yeah somebody posted a picture and went off and because i think it was from some advertising mm-hmm how can they do post pictures like this if they're paddle boards and no life jacks, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I guess he'd never heard of the waist. Oh, okay. Waist okay. ones, right? So, but uh, yeah, you try posting a picture of 
of kayaking or canoeing without a, a life jacket of some sort, <laughs> you might as well just quit yeah. the internet now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, wait to see uh, where this latest debate goes. Yeah, it's all cyclical, man. It always comes around. Yeah, yeah, it's always comes around, 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 around. Yeah, yeah, just like, it's uh, like uh, bell bottom pants and corduroy pants. Oh, nothing like a good <laughs> pair of cords. Chafe, 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 chafe. Can you still buy them? I heard they're coming back. That's why I mentioned it. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna go I get think- me a pair of cords. <laughs> if you go to university stores, the professors always wear those. So but they have awesome. the same yeah. pair for the last forty years. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they haven't bought new ones. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just, they just dug them out of the ninety-two pairs they own. <laughs> One for every day of the year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the good old, uh, uh, not Les Nessman, uh, Herb Tarlick. Herb yeah. Tarlick. Yeah. yeah. Good old Herb Tarlick. If you don't know who Herb Tarlick is, you got to look him up. <laughs> I think I owned one of those belts when I was in school, elementary school. Wasn't my choosing. My mom made me wear it. It's <laughs> my defense. So the other thing that comes around all the time, Derek, and you sent me this one was ticks. It's oh, that time of year. Yeah. But yeah. this is, this first one's pretty brutal, the moose ticks. So what got me looking into this the other day was uh, I had read an article about uh, in Toronto there's an infestation and and it was a wide ranging article and uh, and then I came across another and another and another and and I have a you know those auto Google alerts so every time some word is mentioned it sends you an email so I have ticks as one of uh, or Lyme disease as uh, one of my searches and uh, so there's been so many it's it's about this time of year that you always see the uh, this overwhelming flow of news about ticks and Lyme disease. But uh, because of the milder winters, like you need like, I don't know, like 10, 15 days of minus 30 or lower to uh, call the herd of, uh, of ticks, right? To, to reduce the, uh, the impact of ticks every spring. But, and yeah. we haven't been getting cold lately. So ticks are becoming a serious issue. And this article I came across with the moose, it was like, Whoa, that's like insane! I had I had heard about you know moose having to deal with ticks and they rub off most of their fur trying to rub the ticks off because it's an irritant. But uh, like when you talk about seventy to ninety thousand ticks on a moose, mm-hmm. yeah. that's incredible. And they say, well, you know these ticks they oh they, they they consume a very small amount of blood every day, but we. <laughs> 90,000 ticks, that's a lot of blood. Yeah. So they, down in Maine, Maine is home to the largest moose population in the lower 48 states. Yes. Uh, in one area of the state, nearly 90% of the calves, and this is what they were tracking, 90% of the calves tracked by biologists last winter didn't survive their first year. Correct. Uh, Lee Cantar a moose biologist with the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife says, you look at one data sheet after another and what we found in the woods on these moose, and it's the same profile every time, it's the winter tick. So winter ticks are sometimes called moose ticks, have been pestering Maine moose for about a century and likely longer. So they've been here for eons here. Yeah. 
Their numbers have exploded in parts of Maine, New Hampshire, Minnesota, and southern Canada. Uh, it is not uncommon for biologists or hunters to find moose infested with 40, 75, or even 90,000 ticks. Who counts that? <laughs> well, when you do the biopsy and you, you, for research, researchers yeah. would do this. So, And they're getting paid to do it. It's not like it's fun. Hey, I got 90000 on this one. Yeah, it's a bingo. There's a fun afternoon so, for you. Infested moose rub themselves virtually bald trying to scrape off the irritating ticks, creating the phenomenon known as ghost moose. Many adult cows which survive such massive tick load. Calves are another story, however. Of the 70 moose calves collared last winter, 60 of them had died by the beginning of May. That's 86%, a record high mortality rate since they began the tracking survey. 60 out of 70 died because of the ticks. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, surge has been apparently driven by a combination of a warming climate and moose populations that are so dense that it's easy for larval ticks to find the host. So yeah, you know, like I say, I mean, you want to, not going to get in the whole, um, climate debate, but it is definitely getting winter. We, everybody can see that it's milder. The, the winters are milder than they used to be. Uh, unlike deer and dog ticks, uh, winter ticks literally hunt in packs. This is something I didn't, I found kind yeah. of, <laughs> kind of uh, interesting. Larvae gather in interlocking clumps on vegetation, and when one tick snags a passing victim, hundreds or thousands tag along for the ride. You can hear this long, wee. Yeah. So it's not like... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Six flags. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Six flags for ticks. Uh, um, it's not like when we're out, you know, they say, oh, check yourself for, for ticks because you might get one or two on you. Yeah. You know, one drops off a branch when you brush it or something. No, these are like thousands of these yeah. little little things. A solid coating of snow or a sustained cold snap kill these larvae and stop the hunt, which scientists called questing. But snow has been arriving later in the fall uh, across northern New England, so it's you know not happening. They're already on the 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 moose and that. Yeah. The winter have shortened and the falls are longer, which means longer time for those ticks to quest and actively seek their their host, which means moose have accumulated much more on them. Essentially, you have this species of moose that come in and found all this food with no predators, but then the population exploded and now it's coming back down. Winter ticks are acting as the predator. Mm-hmm. So you think something's going to be bigger. Yeah, but it's these tiny but little these things. Tiny little things. Uh, they're enhanced by the shifting climate and the warming climate. They're also studying whether reducing adult moose densities in the area where the calves were collared can improve the overall health of the population by lowering winter tick numbers. So they're just starting to do all these different, how can we stop the ticks? How can we, um, you know, improve the health of the herds of moose and all that? They divided a 2,000-square-mile wildlife management district that stretches from the Quebec border to Baxter State Park's western boundary. Uh, More hunting is allowed in one half while it's status quo in the other. The explosion in winter ticks is taking a toll on the moose, sometimes the fatal one, 
And research suggests that winter ticks are also heading, um, are also leading to fewer moose cows carrying pregnancies to full terms. So this this thing they're doing, they haven't found all the um, answers yet. Is it indeed yeah. doing it? But that's what they've done now. Is they're in the middle of they're, the they're in the middle of this research project and. And, uh, yeah, just cut that whole thing in half and say, well, let's see what happens, right? But the the pregnancy thing was an interesting um, case where they had one female moose that they tagged in 2014. 2014? Yeah. Fit her with a radio collar, put a moose tag number 59, uh, and rode in a patch of forest for eight years until late April – an antler hunter stumbled upon the fresh carcass and dialed the phone number on the tag. So they come to check out this, the number 59's um, body there. And he says that bony hips, patches of missing hair are prime suspect in her death. Winter ticks all over. So they can see how big, you know, they, they show pictures of how big these things are. Grapes, small grapes. Grapes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did a field, uh, they do field necropsies, necropsies? Yeah. Necropsy. Necropsies, yeah. On most of the 60 calves that died the past winter, and then the the nearly 10-year-old cow moose, number 59, isn't technically part of that study, but she was in the first class of cows collared in 2014 and managed to provide them with years of data before her radio collar gave out. So he wanted to take a close look at her, see if she was carrying a calf at the time of her death, and she was. But the the calf was tiny, just 12 pounds and about two feet long, and she was only two to three weeks from birthing. So even if she survived, the severely malnourished calf wouldn't have. Wouldn't have, yeah. The adult female winter tick can remove one milliliter of blood from its host. Which isn't a lot. Unless. But when you've got 90,000 ticks, yeah. replacing that much blood is impossible for some moose. Yes. Particularly yeah. a pregnant cow while subsisting on fat reserves and little alts during the winter. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that part of it... And so that part of the study was, I found pretty interesting. It, uh, the devastation that these ticks uh, wreak on the body of the moose is, uh, so he did a, his necropsy involved, uh, so he took a good look at all, at all of the internal organs. He even, uh, he even looked at the bone marrow and he was, he said it was remarkable. He, and he, they had a name for it, but it was, uh, so the, the organs were whitish like it was just that uh, the grainy muscle coating on the on the on the internal organs so she had no fat content all mm-hmm. of her fat content was gone and even the uh, even the bone marrow was depleted she was just her body was working so hard to create enough blood for herself and the tickets were just taking it all and so it, it, there was no fat content in her marrow in any of her organs and so it, it's uh, it just wreaked havoc on her and she she could not produce enough fat reserves to keep her alive anymore and she it, uh, it she just passed away due to that it was uh, yep. the lack of the fat contents winter it's cold anyways and plus she's carrying uh, a baby calf which is taking even more 
uh, of her of her nutrients, and so it's uh, the tick problem is uh, it's insane to be able to to cover an animal with that many ticks, and there's nothing the moose can do. Like they try, they rub themselves raw and lose all their fur, but it's still there's there's only so many areas that they can rub the ticks off of them, right? Yeah. And they just replenish too, you know. They're having multi generations of ticks on the on the moose itself. And now we were out a few years back um, doing some winter hikes, some snowshoeing, and that. And we came across a spot that had uh, like where the moose had bedded down for the night. Yeah, and it was gone, but you could still see where where it had. And there was moose ticks. Like there oh. was a lot of them in they the snow. Fallen off. While that she was had fallen off. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you're even looking like how many were there. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, that's brutal. Just dropping them everywhere. Yeah. 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 So they're. The fo- go yeah. ahead. And the go photos ahead. of them are just, it, ugh, it's disgusting. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? I, you see the pictures of them. It looks like they're covered in gloss at raisins. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's just, duh. People will stop eating gloss at raisins now. Means more for me. <laughs> Uh, so you think that's what's happening to the moose. Now, when you're out paddling, you know, if, if the moose ticks are getting larger, um, populations, yeah. you got the dog ticks that are out there, the deer ticks that are Rock out there. Tick, the tick, the deer and tick. The, they're doing, they're mm-hmm. doing the same thing yeah. and they're heading everywhere. They're like, yeah. I know in Ontario here, they're saying that this is another, every year they're saying there's going to be a bad year for it and it keeps getting worse and worse. A Toronto woman um, says she's pulled between 25 and 30 from her two dogs already. Yes. This uh, year so far. This year so far. She says, they've taken over my yard. They've taken over my house. It's a health concern for both my dogs. She says she was bitten by two ticks last year and saw a few on her dog two years ago. This year, she's been bitten by five all dog ticks in a week. Three years ago, she said she didn't even know what a tick looked like. Mm-hmm. She's finding them in her house, in her bed. Yep. Uh, after she's she's out for a walk, mowing the lawn, anything. Uh, she says it, it's creepy. There's a topical solution she puts on her dogs that uh, she's obtained from the vet, but she says she doesn't think it's working. There are other ones. They say there's edibles that you can give your dog that's supposed to help, and those they say tend to work. Well, mm-hmm. because I guess it just exudes through their, their skin. It, it, yeah, so it makes the blood less tasteful for the yeah. for the ticks. Um, and of course, so this is going on everywhere now. So if you're going out paddling, even local, yeah. urban, I mean, you're, you're, most people go, oh, we're going up to Algonquin for the uh, week camping. Uh, well, even if you're just going, like I say, we're going down to Duffins Creek or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like five minutes from my house in the middle of a town. Yeah. You still got to be watching. Mm-hmm. Right? A branch manager in BC Fraser Valley for Orkin Canada, a pest control company, said she believes the reduced use of pesticides along with warmer climate and an increase in the number of pets due to the uh, during the pandemic has contributed to what seems to be an expansion of the tick population across the country. So people are going out. With their dogs and yeah. hikes, mm-hmm. you know, because, yeah, once now everybody's got a dog since the, you know, they all adopted them during the the, the pandemic for company while keeping the, you know, staying at home. 
Now they're all going out for these walks along the yeah. different parks and stuff, bringing them back home where they're going to breed and yeah. just spreading them sort of thing, right? And and a lot fewer pesticides are used these days like mm-hmm. for because because it's we come to learn that it's like okay well we're treating a problem but we're making it worse because you know now we're getting pesticides into the into the you know the water tables and so on and it's effect, affecting you know nesting birds and so on it's so it's like oh we're making things worse we got to stop using pesticides so now yeah. the ticks are coming back right yeah uh they say focus on making environments less tick friendly instead of spraying pesticides this means uh, working with they work with customers to ensure shrubbery is trimmed back. She recommends keeping grass cut short, trimming trees, and removing leaf debris promptly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, instead of using the pesticides now. So if you're going out paddling this year, make sure you're... And the big thing they say is uh, you can get the permethrin. And there was another... Uh, they said DEET and something else. Uh, Icaridin. I've never yeah. heard of that one. Have you heard of that one, John? Yeah, I honestly I don't think it's uh I, and I pronounce it permethrin. I'm not sure which is the proper pronunciation. I mean, Canadian way is probably better. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I I don't um I don't think anything works as well as the permethrin that I've seen. Yeah. But, we buy, we're buying but, clothes now up here where it comes in. It's, it's in, already yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah, and so and that's interesting because your Canadians aren't allowed to purchase the the chemical itself either in spray or or, or to dilute, but you can purchase permethrin treated clothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Mark's Work Warehouse, one of the mm-hmm. brands here, has uh, a lot of it. Yeah, it it works really well. Yeah. It, it's you know, and I and I'll I've have some permethrin treating clothing, and I do treat like all of my socks um, and pants, especially um, if I'm going to be going out someplace where I think it might be you know, well, hell, even in my backyard these days with all the deer going through here and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But um, yeah, I I I use the permethrin treated socks and pants, and then you know do the tuck you know where you tuck your pant legs into your socks socks, yeah you know you look kind of uh kind of silly (laughs) but yeah i always thought it kind of looked like captain kirk you know tucking the the way they had those (laughs) pants and the boots on the so any of my neighbors give me any funny looks i just give them a live long and prosper and keep mowing you know (laughs) um you know i i i love it i'm you know initially i was worried about putting that you know that chemical that close to my skin and stuff and then when Lyme disease started you know increasing as well as some of the other there's some really nasty stuff that um besides Lyme disease right that that ticks can carry yeah and um you know I just thought well what's you know what's the worst of the two options here and and I've seen people get some horrible horrible um effects from Lyme disease so yeah yeah yeah, that's that's something that they're studying and uh, taking a lot more seriously these mm-hmm. days than than they they did even five six years ago. Yeah, there's there's yep. a lot more studies. There's a lot more 
uh, professionals working on the Lyme disease issue. And, and they, they seem to be, I, I've been watching this over the last couple of years, and I, I see they're starting to make a little smaller leaps and bounds towards not, not necessarily cure so much as treatment for the, uh, the side effects of Lyme disease, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's coming. It's, it's just what it comes down to is getting enough professionals in, in the uh, medical industry to do the studies to figure out how to combat Lyme disease. Money's got to yep. be thrown at it is what has to happen. <laughs> yeah. My, I have a friend who um, got Lyme, and she's had cardiac problems due mm-hmm. to the Lyme. Yeah. Which which I didn't realize was one of the uh, possibilities with it. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah, it's a number of things that can uh, that go with it is is boggling. But, yeah, it's something that, that needs to be uh, dealt with, that's for sure. And the other thing that you can do, um, well, you can do here in the States. I'm not sure um, how it is in Canada. But you can talk with your physician, nurse practitioner, whoever you see um, for your health care, and explain to them that I spend a significant amount of time outdoors. I am concerned about Lyme's disease. It's prevalent in my area. Uh, can I get a um, a cycle of antibiotics? Should I find a tick on me when I'm out, you know, kayaking, camping, or whatever? And um, and you can get that, and you can have that antibiotic with you, and um, put it in your first aid kit, which is what I do. Uh, my nurse practitioner, um, and and my my nurse practitioner is so great. She actually wrote on there. Um, in the directions on the, you know, on the, on the vial, it says about, you know, for, uh, catching Lyme disease, uh, when, when kayaking, she used the words when kayaking on the vial. I'm like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is but only when person. kayaking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you're canoeing, canoeing, if you're walking the dog. Nope. <laughs> that's right. But it's, it's a good idea, right? You've got that and, and you can use that because if you start treatment with the antibiotics right away, um, you can prevent the limes from developing. Mm-hmm. So, at the end of the day, make sure you guys are covered, and make sure that you check yourself every time you come in from a, a good old paddle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we talked a couple things last week, John. You weren't on on with us, but um, mm-hmm. one of the things we were talking about last week was aquatic invasive species, and uh, out in Banff and Coho. Uh, um, Kootenai and so Wood Buffalo National Park uh, they're all doing the permits and you you know the drain clean dry um, program and if you you're if you're not in BC Alberta or one of the territories you have to make sure your v- vessel has been dry for like 30 days and stuff like that. Uh, we're just checking out, you know, all these things that are going on now. And I noticed the Grand Tetons are doing the same thing. So any residents and visitors to the Grand Teton National Park are being reminded to do their part to prevent the spread of aquatic invasive species and have their watercraft inspected before launching on park waters. So this is going down in the States as well now. Um, and you'd noticed 
that you you had mentioned there earlier when we, before we were on air that when you came up to do the Yukon, you had to stop at a couple of spots to have your boat inspected. Yeah, they gave us uh, paperwork right when we um, crossed the border, and then we had to stop at the first um, inspection station along the route that we saw, and um, you know they would go through everything. And then they told you, well, you're going to see this again up in British Columbia, so you're going to have to stop again. And it's kind of like, you know, it, uh, I understand why they're doing it. I'm 100% fine with them doing that, you know. Yeah. Multiple stops, though, when you've already been signed off on one seems a bit much. Um, and I don't know, I haven't heard last week's broadcast, but 30 days. Yeah seems a bit much. Um, well, that's what we were saying is, I mean, when we went across Canada a few years back, we were stopping all these places to paddle every day. Yeah. You know, and if that was now, A, we wouldn't have been able to do that. And if we mm-hmm. did, when we got out to Banff, we would have had to rent boats, life jackets, paddle, yeah. anything that touches the water. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, we, like you say, I, I can see why they're doing it, but there's a bit of overboard going on, I think. Yeah. Well, there, I think, I think what it is, is, uh, it, it's like the, you know, the pen, they say the pendulum swing. So over the years, like they, they, we've become to recognize that the invasive species are, are, pervasive and we need to mm-hmm. start doing stuff about it and so they're they they've you know kicked it into full gear that's uh let's fight this the, the best way to stop the invasive species is catch it at the border catch yeah. it before it enters it's too expensive to treat waterways to try and eradicate them once it's uh once they've gotten in there and so mm-hmm. it's let's get them before they enter and so i think I think there's there may end up with other approaches eventually, but uh, right now it's like they're just they're desperate to stop the uh, the invasive species from getting in. Is what we saw that there's over 300 invasive water species that yeah. you know plants and animal and whatever. That's uh, it's an insane way. And you know back in the day, remember remember read every time you go. As some park somewhere, they have a history of the first people. You know, they they liked their plants back home in Scotland so much that they brought all the plants with them. And st- you know what I mean? It's like it's like back then. It was like, hey, transport all your favorite plants. And and you know, it's just one of those things. It's um, we just can't do that anymore. It's become well proven. that and the stuff coming in the bilge water of ocean oh exactly yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 before you enter the sea Saint Lawrence Seaway, you got to dump all that water and. And uh, because you got to draft higher in the water, but you draft low for the ocean, and so all that water you'd be picked up overseas and now being dumped in, you know, off of Montreal and, yeah. and so on, right? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, and especially when it comes to the Rocky Mountains and stuff like that, yeah, you yeah. want to leave it yeah. pristine. But yeah. I'm just questioning the 30 day thing. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I That's, think what they could do is like maybe you know in England when they had mad cow, they uh, if you entered or left a, a farm area that was known to have it, you'd have to walk through a tray of like uh, chlorinated uh, bleach water, mm-hmm. and so yeah. you'd have to rinse your feet off and shoes and everything. And so maybe it's something like that. It's uh, you know it might be a treatment. It's uh, hose down your boat to, as you pass through this uh, this zone, right? Mm-hmm. 
So it's just one of those things. There, I'm sure they're going to come up with our ideas, but right now it's like might be excessive to start bur- hosing stuff down with bleach as you as you enter. It's like you know, well, that's causing more of a problem all on its own. Yeah. Right. So hopefully it uh, um, evolves into something that's something. doable and yeah. for everybody. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things we talked about. Now, one of the other things we talked about as well, which is everybody's on right now is the gas prices and canceling stuff. Now you had two big trips this year, John, Mm -hmm. that were plans. Uh, One was, uh, is it Manicougan? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, going up to the the Eye of Quebec. The Eye of Quebec. And the other one, now is it the circumnavigation of New York City or Manhattan, right? Manhattan, or or is it? Yeah, going out and, and circumnavigating the island. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, they opened up, um, uh, they put, allowed the application process to start and, uh, you know, I started looking at it going like, well, God, I'd love to go out and do that. Uh, it's kind of been a bucket list thing, but then I've been having, you know, back issues again. So it was like, geez, I can't do that. But, you know, part of it too, you, know, you think about it, it's like, well, by not doing it, I just save, you know probably several hundred dollars and I have a really fuel efficient vehicle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now the eye of Quebec is, is another thing and that is a complete, um, that is just all gas price. I yeah. mean, you know, for me to go up so and do it solo, it's like, well, it's, it's a new body of water. It's a big body of water. Prefer to do it with somebody else or whatever. And then you can split gas costs and such too. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, I started thinking about it. And, I mean, it, it's it's a long haul for me to get out there, you know, and then it's it's uh, four hundred some miles past Quebec City. Quick kilometers? How many? How many? <laughs> Nine hundred sixteen. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so one point six, know, I you, believe. <laughs> it's the the cost of gas. You know, obviously, as you go farther north. It's going to get higher and higher and higher. So, uh, just decided. You know what? The, this isn't the year for the Eye of Quebec. Yeah. So now, are you expecting gas prices to drop? Because uh, I don't know about you, but in my experience, gas prices are generally just track upwards forever. And uh, <laughs> if they do drop, they they may go up by you know, a certain percentage, but then there's a fraction of that percentage that they would ever drop down on. Yeah. Right, so yeah, it's they, uh, it's one of those things you might have to bite the bullet and say, you know what, like I guess maybe once uh, things kind of settle out, maybe they'll drop down to about right now they're what uh, depending on where you go in Quebec and Ontario, it's like two or five, two ten. Well, it's been a buck ninety two this week. Yeah, 96, so yeah, this this week now. is down a bit, but uh, it's uh, as a general rule, I think that uh, they never really fully recover the gas yeah. prices. Oh right? yeah, they yeah. they find their excuse to raise it beyond all belief. Oh yeah. And then, well, it's here now. Now they're blaming electric cars. They're saying there's so many electric cars in the road that they can't sell as much gas, so they get charged. Oh, jeez! Yeah. Like it's I it's say, one of the factors. <laughs> I just raised my hand and 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 called BS on it. Yeah, on all of it. Yeah, there there is nothing in the world that will convince me that this is nothing but gouging and greed. Oh yeah, it's total greed. Well, yeah, they have to it, make it, all their money the, before the gas the, disappears. Look at the earnings from the. Yeah. From the petroleum companies right now. Billions in profits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, record profits every year. It's like another record, another record. 
Like right. I say, whatever politician can promise me that that gas will go down to a buck a liter, <laughs> he's in. He's got my vote. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, our premier Rob Ford, he went on buck a beer. <laughs> but where's the buck of beer? None of the breweries want to sell their beer for a No, buck. they didn't. <laughs> they can't do that. Yeah, they so didn't they, want any but, part of it. But all these people thought, oh, all he had to do is say beer. it. He just had to say it. All he had to do is say it. But if he could promise that he's going to get that gas right down to a buck. <laughs> Promising and achieving is two different things. They could say whatever they want, and they do say whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I if 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 one of them is going to make it happen, they're in <laughs> in like Flynn. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what a load of malarkey! Bunch <laughs> yeah, of so that's that's yeah. So I'm I'm uh, not sure what's going to happen with Isle Royal yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Isle Royale. We'll see how the basically how the back stands up on that one because there is a lot of portaging or portaging. Um, and there's, you know, um, wanted to do a lot of backpacking there too, as right. well. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. If it gets to the point where I'm not able to do any of that, my best guess scenario for the fall is going back down to Arkansas and Missouri and just paddling the rivers down there because, you know, that is not a, a bad backup to have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah true. Yeah, as long as you can get out in the water somewhere at some point, right? Right, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, the that gas price, man, is killing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's all I got this week. You got anything else, Derek? Covered all anything I want to talk about. John, you got anything else? Um, well, it is um, actually today marks the one-year anniversary of the Outdoor Kind Adventure Show podcast. Woohoo! So, yeah, we, we've survived our first year, b- barely. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll have a new episode out tomorrow with Tori Baird. Ooh, right on. Excellent. She's, been, she's yeah. gotten uh, out to a lot more places doing her Paddle Like a Girl. Yes, seminar. fantastic. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, she's done some uh, down the greater Toronto area and... Yeah. You know, as well as the ones up near home, and yeah, she's uh, she's really um, she's killing it with those. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, good. Looking forward to yeah. hearing it. Yeah, that's it. That's all you got. <laughs> that's about we're, it. We're greedy. We want more, John. More, more. Tell us more. <laughs> Bring beer well, and fill up our fridge. <laughs> yes, I can, yeah. and cheese, please. Hey, you know the the cheese curds that I keep bringing up for uh, for Derek's children. They love um, those. Which I've, I've never had. <laughs> Nasonville Dairy, the the uh, company that produces those, just won a bronze medal in the U.S. Nationals just a bronze, for their cheese eh? curds. Who won gold? So, uh, I have no idea. So just a bronze, eh? Yeah, so so they're not us, that good. You're just bringing us par for the course yeah. of curds? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Third place. Third place curds. Third place curds. <laughs> Just third well, place curds. Wow, I dude. Guess I don't want to disappoint you, so I will not be bringing any of those again. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Guess you should have stopped before you were... Uh, I haven't had any to begin with, so it's not like I've been missing out. <laughs> No, you actually did have those the very first time I came out. I think it was 
and was interviewed in in your studio but that was before Yukon Journey. I think I brought some then. Cuz remember curds? I remember you brought cheese. Yeah, you I didn't think you, there was curds there were and pepperoni. Yep, you remember cuz we were talking about you heat them up for 20 seconds in a microwave and it's an entirely different experience. Oh yeah, it completely changes the yeah. experience. So yeah, so, yeah, so and squeaky. You and... have had them. But apparently they weren't even memorable enough because they're just bronze. So Yeah. Yeah. You get nothing, buddy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know what? You know what would solve my disappointment of not getting cheese curds? What's that? Good old puppers. <laughs> <laughs> so you can play that game, smarty pants. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Thought you had me. Uh, all righty. <laughs> well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And like I say, go to Facebook and watch that uh, video, Brainwaves. Uh, it's, it's a YouTube video. You can download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and fellow paddlers. John, thanks for being on this week. Thank you. Good to hear you, hear from you. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.